you have that moment of, okay, you got your hopes up, didn't happen. Okay, hang your head for a little, for a second or two, but then get up and keep going because nobody is going to do it for you. Welcome to the Creative Chats Podcast with Mike Brennan. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artists, makers, and content creators, where we talk about creativity, the creative process, and story. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram. I'm at MikeBone. And you can check out my work on my website, which is MikeBrennan.me. Also, I'd love to have you join us as part of our community. It's a free Facebook community called Daily Creative Habit. Simply go to dailycreativehabit.com, request to join our group, and you will be among a throng of creatives with all sorts of expressions, writers and visual artists and even content creators. We would love to have you there if you are someone who is raising your hand saying, I want to be more consistent showing up for my creativity and craft. So head on over to dailycreativehabit.com and we look forward to seeing you there. Now for this week, I have a guest, Javier Garza, and Javier is a storyteller, an artist, an author. He has authored and illustrated so many books, and all this stuff coming from a lot of his own childhood memories and stories. He is a lover of stories and a great storyteller, as you'll see from this time that we had to chat. And Javier grew up in Rio Grande City, um, a border town. And, you know, he draws from his experiences when he was younger and his culture and just uh, weaves together these really amazing tales. And he shares not only what those stories are, but why they're important to him and his process in learning how to tell these stories and learning how to illustrate. And uh, just really some great words of wisdom and encouragement for anyone else who might be thinking, hey, you know what? I think I have a book in me, or I think I have a story that I want to tell. Uh, I know you're going to enjoy this interview with Javier. So without further ado, here is my creative chat with Javier Garza. Well, Javier Garza, welcome to Creative Chats. I'm excited to talk to you today. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. I, I would love to do this. Yeah. So... Before we get too deep, because I know we're going to get into some really great stuff as far as your background and your art and just all the amazing stories and storytelling you do, but give us a little like bird's eye snapshot of who you are, what you do. Well, my, like I said, my name is Javier Garza. I was born in a in a small. I was born in McAllen, Texas, and raised in a small town called Rio Grande City. I uh, lived in Edinburgh for a few years before moving up to San Antonio. I've uh, been here for like twenty years, me and my my wife and my son. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I always like to tell people is that, you know, growing up, I grew up my whole life surrounded by storytellers. Hmm. My grandfather was a storyteller. My grandmother, my dad never met my great grandfather. But everybody tells me that he was an awesome storyteller. And uh, so growing up around people telling stories, I just kind of kind of became a part of me. And it's one of the things that I love to do. I love telling stories, whether it be through pictures or through the, the verbally telling stories or just writing stories down. Uh, kind of like everything I do is kind of aimed at that purpose uh, to tell a story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I love that. As a matter of fact, uh, I consider myself kind of a storyteller too. I say that I am a creator and communicator telling stories on pages and stages. Uh, awesome. I definitely get that connection with stories and the importance, um, you know, even as a kid, just so many stories that inspire you and teach you and um, give you context for things, right? Mm -hmm. Amazing. What were some of your favorite stories growing up? Uh, well, growing up, I grew up, I tell people, uh, I grew up hearing Mexican folklore like Yorona, the vanishing hitchhiker, stories like the Chupacabras and stories, you know, kind of spooky stories. Another thing that I grew up with were comic books. I tell people, I learned how to read because of comic books. Uh, you know, I would see the pictures on the page and I could kind of figure out what the story was when I was a kid. But of course, I wanted to read it. And I would tell my my dad and other adults to read it to me, but I really didn't quite trust the interpretation they were giving. <laughs> you know, it's like they were in a rush. Oh yeah, yeah this, 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 it's over. I was like, no, that can't. No, this has to be more than that. And so I would. Uh, so uh, uh, I learned how to write, how to read, and honestly, I learned how to write. And I also kind of truthfully, I learned how to draw from comic books. So they were a big influence on me growing up. And uh, and I tell people, you know, once I've got paper, one of the best things they gave me as a kid was because uh, I was very, I was always very active, I wanted to do stuff. So they gave me a box of crayons and a whole bunch of paper bags, which I tell, I tell kids today, you know, once upon a time, there was a thing called the paper bag. That when you <laughs> went to the grocery store, they didn't give you a bag with Made of plastic was a bag, paper bag, and they look at you kind of like weird. But you know, so and so I would draw on all the bags, everything I could get hold, my my hands on, I would draw. And I tell I took people, my dad, bless his heart. He many a times he went, he took his lunch for work in a paper bag with pictures of road runners and Batmans <laughs> and all kinds of stuff on it. He never complained, mind you, but you know, I'm sure his friends at work had to give him some kind of ribbing for it you know <laughs> yeah that's awesome so in in your own storytelling as a kid and stuff right um did did you was there something that was driving you to do that or is it just because you were you love stories so much that you want to just be a part of that well growing up i just love to tell stories uh i remember uh i don't remember any of this but my mother would tell me because she was she used to work at a at a convenience store and she said that when we would, uh, my dad would go there to pick her up and I'd be there and I was little, uh, I don't know how old I was, but I was very little. And she would tell me that the cashier lady that was there, she would just start talking. I would start talking to her, telling her all kinds of stories and stuff. I have no idea, something about a rabbit, which I have no idea. What that <laughs> but, you know, but then growing up, uh, I always just love to hear stories, love to tell stories. Uh, it wasn't until I guess I must have been maybe 18 or 19 that I really started thinking well, about the idea of telling stories myself. And I did that for a few years, just telling stories. I would write down stories and tell them. And then one of my, a writer friend of mine, David Rice, told me one time, you know, instead of just writing, instead of just telling your stories, you should really write them down, which was in itself, I tell people, was a, a whole other learning experience. I knew, I knew how to tell a story. And I knew how to write, but to combine the two, because sometimes something you say in a story doesn't quite translate the same way when you write it down and vice versa. So you kind of, it was a whole learning process for me. Uh, the whole thing, just writing and illustrating everything, uh, 
you know, I had to relearn a lot of things that I thought I knew. Yeah, but but yeah, that's kind of, that was kind of like my how I kind of got started. You know, it, it's a I did not start off when I was six, 14, 15. I was didn't ever think that I wanted to be a writer to to write. It was just not something that I ever really thought about. I love to read. Uh, I was a library kid. I would go to the library, check out four, five, six books, read them, and take them back and check out more. And uh, you know, I just thought that it was great because you know every book that you wanted was there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I really, I tell people, I really didn't have a library till I got to junior high. <clears throat> junior high was where we first had libraries at school. Uh, in elementary, we had, I don't know if, if you all had this, we had a bookmobile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember we would, uh, this bookmobile would show up every two weeks and and you would go in there and check out books and the bookmobile would return two weeks later. Here was the deal, I remember. You did not want to go with the first group. You did not want to be part of that first group because there was going to be nothing there because people were still returning the books. You didn't want to be at the end because you were going to get nothing. All the good books were going to be gone. You wanted to be try to get, hopefully, that you would end up in that middle group that went in there when the books had been returned. And, and I remember as a kid, the, that thing looked huge. <laughs> Of course, I saw during a recent trip to my hometown, I saw a, a bookmobile there. Of course, it's no longer, it's just there. It's no longer runs or anything. They just have it there. And I look at it, it looks so small yeah. compared to the way I, when I was a kid, it was huge. And now it's like this small, I go like, you know, I could. how did they fit so many of us in there and stuff, of course? <laughs> We took up a lot less space back then, but yeah. So, uh, so that that's kind of like been one of the things that the idea of writing stories and telling stories was always there, but it really didn't manifest itself till I was like maybe must have been like in my early twenties when I first started thinking seriously of trying to to get a book, trying to write books and you know mm. take my stories and turn them into books. Yeah. Yeah. In that progression, was there anything that was towards like? Um, you know, traditional training for that? Or was this just more of like, this is a passion of mine and I'm just going to kind of figure it out as I go. And well, I mean, at, I mean, in, in, in high school, I took that, you know, I took art classes and, and I did the usual writing assignments, but nothing that I would think would like, like I really thought was going to be a future. Now, when I went to college, when I went to college, I always loved to draw and drawing and painting. I always loved to do that stuff. So I figured I'll, I'll, I'll get a degree in, in art and I'll be an art teacher, you know, at a public school or so that, that was the, pl- that is, that was the plan. So I went in there and, but when I was there, I, uh, I was lucky. I had a really great art teacher when I was there, one of my professors, Will Martin. And he was, he was awesome. Not just in the sense that he taught me a, a lot, he, him and another man named Dr. Philip Field, but you know, but with um, Philip Field taught me how to paint. Martin talked to me, taught me drawing, and he also taught me something that was really important. He uh, he taught me the idea of taking your art and using it to tell a story. Because he, I would make a drawing or two or a tour or a painting. He would say, "Well, that's great, but what are you going to do?" He says, "What do you mean? What am I going to do? What are you going to do with it? What What do you mean?" Well, have you ever thought of working in a series? And I said, a "Series? What's a series? What do you mean by a series? A series is when you take one theme." And you make a painting or a drawing on that theme. 
but then you expand on it. Same theme, same concepts, but you carry it further. You go further with it. And I was like, I never really thought about it. So I did, I started working on that, like, okay, make this image, but then follow it up with something else and something else and something else along those same things. And one of the other things that he did is he took me to an art, he was having an art exhibit at, at one of the uh, one of the colleges. I want to say it was, uh, it was in Kingsville and he was, uh, he was going there and, and he, you know, I, I went with him and another student went with him too. We, you know, we helped him carry the stuff, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but what happened is when we got there, I mean, we saw the people at the art opening, we saw the people looking at the art, people talking about the art, and we thought that was the coolest thing. And so that kind of motivated me to want to do the same thing, follow in those steps and do my art and have it tell a story. And then when I was in, while I was in college, you know, getting my, my bachelor's in art, I, I you know, I, I took some you know writing classes, the basic the course subjects that you think one of the one of the teachers I can't remember her name. I turned in uh, something I'd written. She said that's pretty good. You should you know you should consider you know you know expanding on, on, on your writing. But anyway, I thought about it. So I went and I started writing and I started writing and I started more than I uh, went to a coffee house and I read some of the stuff and and uh, and one of my friends told me he goes yeah but you you need to read it like you tell your stories and I said well yeah because you you're just going up there and reading and that's kind of boring but when you go up tell it like you tell your story that you wrote but tell it like the way you tell your stories for your storytelling so I went up there and I did it and it was great I had this really great reaction from the people and then so that's when I started thinking well maybe I could take both of these things because one of my heroes is uh, growing up. Uh, in, in Chicano art is uh, Carmen Lomas Garza. I love her work. She's written a whole series. Well, she, she did a whole series of paintings and then her paintings, she turned into books. And the books are, have little vignettes that tell a story that relates to the image. And I tell you, that would be so cool. That's what I want to do. I want to do my art and I want to do my stories and I want to combine them together. And so maybe, so I'm going to try and be a writer and then slash illustrator. So uh, it was a long process uh, from when I decided that I was going to do it, which I was about 22 at the time. And I did not get published till like eight, a little over eight years later. Hmm. Got rejection letter after rejection letter and blah, 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 till one time. And I tell people, it sounds really dramatic, but the whole, the whole thing took place like in maybe like three or four minutes I was reading in Houston at the Latino Family Book Festival. Uh, and my friend Tony Diaz had booked me to read at the Latino Book Festival. And I read to the, I remember I read The Lechusa Lady, which ended up in my book, uh, Creepy Creatures and Other Cucuis. And it just so happened that Dr. Canelos was there. He was the president of Arte Publico Press, which was the oldest, largest publisher of Latino literature. And after I read the story, I, he, he, came, you know, we, he came over, we talked, we had a quick conversation. I really didn't know who he was yet, you know? Yeah. And so we had a whole conversation. And then that's after the brief conversation, oh, here's my card, call me on, said, call me on Monday. And that's when I saw the name, I recognized the name with Dr. Canelos. And it was like, so then I told my friend Tony, well, Canelos told me to call him on Monday. He said, oh man, that's good. That means he probably thinking of publishing you. And so then I took it. So then that was, you know, on a Saturday, then wait Saturday, wait Sunday, Call him Monday, 
we talked on the phone for like four minutes. He said, send me a copy of your manuscript and your illustrations, send it to him. You know, back then everything was by a stale, uh, by a regular mail, snail mail, as they call it. And so a couple of uh, weeks, uh, weeks later, I get a phone call. He says, would you be willing to work with an editor? And I said, yeah, I'd be willing to work with an editor. And he said, okay, well, we'll send you a contract. And I tell people, it sounds like dramatic, but it was like so quick. Everything just happened so suddenly. And then uh, working with editors was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Uh, they, there's two ladies that I work with, and uh, one for one publisher, another one for another. And the, I can honestly they both made me, they made me better writers, a better writer by working with them. And the whole idea, the whole concept was to take the way you tell a story and put it on paper. But you kind of have, it's a, it's a learning, it's gonna, it's a, it was a learning process because what works in one, one way does not work in the other. So you have to kind of go back and forth with the two. Yeah. And, then, and then when the illustration, we'll talk about illustrations in a bit, that was a whole other learning experience. Yeah, love that that you just had the tenacity to continue to stick that out, and and then eventually you had your opportunity. And you know, I can hear from even how you're talking about it, you you didn't sit back and wait for something to fall in your lap. You were engaging in things. You were storytelling. You were looking for what was possible, and while still scanning the horizon for what you were hoping was going to happen, right? I mean, well, yeah. Well, the thing with with uh, me and some other friends of mine. I tell people we would we would drive from we would drive like 200, 300 miles to go read at a festival for like 15 minutes and then drive. But you were just kind of getting your work out there and so that people would hear you. And you were just kind of hoping that you would be at the right, be at the right place at the right time. And uh Book, book festivals have been very good to me. Uh, the two publishers that I work with, I met both of them at book festivals. And that's kind of when I got my foot in the door. Yeah. And uh, so and I always tell people, when they ask me, well, what, what could I do to get published? Well, you know, the, you do the, the obvious ones. You write. Write as much as you can. Because writing is like a muscle. The more you do it, the, the stronger it becomes, the easier it becomes. The, and, and you learn. That's the other thing. You'll, you'll never stop being willing to learn something new or just expand your horizons on your writing. Because the minute you start thinking, I'm, I'm it, I'm, as, I'm great, I'm awesome, that's the day you stop learning. Because yeah. you're never going to get any better because you don't think that you can. You always have to remember that you can always get better. You know, so, then, so that was part of the deal. The other thing that I tell people is, you know, the other thing is to read. You know, read as many books as you can. Don't be afraid to expose yourself to different genres, different styles, different people, uh, especially kids. I tell them with kids, when, when you're reading, you're not just reading. You say, oh, I'm reading a great book. No, no, you're not just reading. You're learning how to write. You're learning how to tell a story, how to make it be spooky, how to make it be scary, how to make it be funny. And, you know, and, 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 and when you sit down to write, and this happens with you know, a lot of times, this is what happens. You sit down to write, you try to write like somebody else. You try to write like your favorite writer. You try to write the way in the style of somebody, you know, that you whose work you love. But what happens, and 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 you don't notice it till after it's happened. All of a sudden, you realize, you know what? I'm not writing like so and so. I'm not I'm not painting like so and so. It has become something new. It has become something different. I am writing or painting or doing art like me. 
Yeah. You know, and, and I tell people, you won't notice it till it's happened. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I tell them is just to, if you have, especially kids, I tell them, you have an idea for a story, write it down, save it. A lot of you say, oh, I'll remember, but you won't. A lot of really great ideas are lost because people just don't write them down. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, uh, especially kids, I tell them, save all your ideas, even the silly ones. Because sometimes it's a silly idea that becomes a great idea. I tell them, I mean, some guy had an idea about making a cartoon about a sponge that hangs around with a starfish. Look what happens. You <laughs> yeah. never know, you know? Yeah, so true, so true. So I, I love the, the, how you're talking about that. And, and I want to segue into your illustration. Um, and I'm curious, like, what was your influence as far as your illustration style? And like, what were you drawn to? pardon the pun, but, um, you know, that really helped you develop your own style and storytelling through illustration. In the beginning, the, my first real big influence was comic books. Uh, and, and I'll show you a bit, a bit of something that I did related to that comic books. Uh, they were my first real gateway to art. I, uh, I would go to the corner grocery store, my dad would give me a dollar, which back then a dollar could buy you four comic books, you know, <laughs> they a dollar won't even get you one, yeah. you know, but, uh, and I would go and, and I would try to draw what I saw. And to this day, comic books are a big influence in my art. Uh, later on, as I got older, other big influence were artists like Carmen Lomas Garza, Cesar Martinez and, and Luis Jimenez. And what made them important to me was that, you know, I mean, I see the work of other artists. And, but then this, I, one of the things that made it really real for me was like, I looked at this artist and first of all, they had the same last name as me or they had a Hispanic last name like me. And they were from Kingsville. They were from, uh, La, from Laredo. They were from El Paso, and, and, and those were places that I knew where they were. I'd been there, you know? So that was like, that became like a really, you know, this thing, okay, you know, they're not that different from me, you know? They, they're like, their growing up experience was very similar to mine. Uh, you know, growing up along a border town. And so made me feel like, well, you know what, if they can, go out there and do something with their art. Well, that means that I can do it too, you know? It was, uh, it just made it more real in that sense. And uh, and I think that's important because like in, like in books and in art, I think, especially when, when you're a kid, it's important that you see yourself yeah. reflected in that. It just makes it more, not it makes it more relatable, but it also makes you feel like it's attainable. Because I remember, growing, I grew up in a small border town, Rio Grande City, and the idea when I was ten years old, the idea of growing up and writing books and doing the pictures for the books was like, ah, that's never going to happen. But you, but the thing is, it can and it does. It's just you just have to believe that you can do it and and have that little drive in you that makes you do it, want to do it. It's like I tell people, you know. You know, they say, well, you've got eight, you've got 19 books. That's that's impressive. I say, yeah, but out of those 19 books, I ha- I've had about 50 or 60 rejection letters, you know, and, and, and I tell them rejection letters hurt. 
you know, even, even the really polite ones, you have that moment of, okay, you got your hopes up, didn't happen. Okay, hang your head for a, for a second or two, but then get up and keep going because nobody is going to do it for you. You need to go out there and they say, people say, well, I dream of being discovered. Yeah, but to be discovered, you got to be out there. People have to see you. They got to see your work. You got to be pushing your work and, and showing people that you believe in what you because that's the thing with that. You got to believe, they got to believe that you believe in what you do. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I've also encountered, especially this attitude sometimes where people think like, well, I'm going to be hired for this and then I'll do it. But it's like, no, you need to do it so that people know that you can be trusted to be hired. Um, yeah. Pick yourself first, choose yourself first, mm-hmm. do the projects that you love to do, the things that you're passionate about and let people see that, let them see your, your work, let them see your passion and then be drawn to that so that you can then do more of it, you know? Yeah, because people want to see that you believe in you to begin with. Yeah. But sometimes that's like, they'll look at the work and they say, yeah, this is great. This is, this is I love what, he, what you do, but, but it's that passion that you have that drive that it makes you, you know, makes them say like, you know what? I want to, I want to believe in you. I want to believe in that you can do what you say you want to do. And, and and when you get the chance, just go for it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you specifically also about some of the theming that you have, right? I mean, with with that many books um, and that many ideas and stories, uh, I'm sure that there are things that you must have been like, I know that I need to do this because this is so important to me. This is a a subject matter that um, I want to to touch upon and get out there. So what what were some of those things for you? Well, uh, I've been lucky that every book that I've written, it's in somehow, some way related to experiences that I had as a kid growing up. And I tell people, like my first book, Creepy Creatures and Other Cuckoos. Uh, it's a collection of uh, spooky stories, Mexican folklore legends that I grew up with. But what I did, and I go, oh, not the vantage hitchhiker, all these stories, uh, you know, La Lechusa. But what I did is I took them and I gave them a contemporary twist as if they were happening today as if they were happening to people today and so that was the first book I got published and it and uh, that's what kind of got my foot in the door and then I've done uh then I did I went through a through I did spooky stories scary stories with a Latino theme to them I have one book coming out in October called La Llorona Can't Scare Me about a little boy named Damien who's Damian he's fearless Nothing scares him, and so La Llorona takes it as a challenge. The weeping woman, she shows up, and he, Damien's there, like, he goes, I hear La Llorona's hollering outside my window. I can hear her screaming out a storm, yelling, where are my children? Donde están mis hijos? She, she yells in that scary voice of hers, trying to scare me. But am I scared? No, I'm not. Not even a little bit. So La Llorona is not happy that I'm not scared. So what does she do? She calls her friends, Los Cucuis, to try and scare me. And then all this other monster starts showing up, trying to scare him, but he's fearless. He fears no monster, no Cucuy. And so that the, that's the whole thing about that he's just fearless and the monsters are constantly trying to scare him. Uh, 
But the, so then another theme that I touched on was Lucha Libre. And actually, that was the first book that I fully illustrated. The first one, the beginning, the first one that I did, Creepy Creatures and Other Boys, the illustrate with, with the exception of the cover, the illustrations were black and white. Now, when I did this one, Lucha Libre, The Man in the Silver Mask, I got to illustrate it full color from page to page. And it was basically, I tell people, I grew up as a kid loving Lucha Libre, Mexican wrestling. And some people say, well, you know, why write about luchadores? I tell them, well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's to help dismiss that myth that boys don't like to read. It's not that boys don't like to read. It's just that they need more material of stuff that they want to read about. And I, to me, Lucha Libre was a natural because number one, the, the villain, there's heroes and there's villains. They wear the costumes, the capes, the masks, the tights. They are literally superheroes and supervillains come to life. And they are playing out the oldest play in the world. It's good versus evil. Evil is winning, 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 and then somehow good manages to triumph in the end. So it's, a uh, and uh, and the costumes, it's, I tell people, Lucha Libre is the poor man's theater. You have antagonists, you have protagonists. They're cast in leading and supporting roles. They wear the outlandish costumes. It's just it's really great. I thought it would be a great theme to work with. And so, uh, and this was, remember I said that illustrating books was a bit of a learning experience. Mm -hmm. uh, you see, I knew how to paint and I knew how to draw, but illustrating a book is a totally different animal in the sense that I wanted to do the full page spread. Okay. Where the, where the image would be on both pages, then the text would have to go somewhere. That's what they said. They thought, I, they thought that would be a good style for me to work with. <laughs> to do it that way. Now, the problem was uh, I knew how to paint. I had been trained how to paint at the college. And at, at, the, at college, they said, they don't want you to waste space. So, you know, I did this drawing and this illustration. and I thought it was great. And they thought it was great too. But then they told me something. Okay, where are you going to put the words? <laughs> and I said, what? He goes, the words. I mean, you got this was one of the pages. Goes, you got these really great images here, but this is going to get this part's going to get covered because the words have to go somewhere. So that's when they taught me that in illustration, if you're doing that style of drawing, it's okay, even though it goes against every nature of you that you've been taught when you're doing illustration. This big gap. Like here, I'd part of me be tempted to put a coffee table with some stuff on it or, or some kind of bed said, No, no, just leave it blank. Like leave, you can put stuff, but something minimal, something not important, because that's where the words are going to go. So that was like a, a whole learning experience for me. Like here, I real dramatic image on, on this side. The other side is just kind of plain. with just little sparklies here and there. But because that's where the words were going to go. So that was like a whole other learning experience. And of course, the, the rule for the way I illustrate books is the same rule that I use when I do the, the same rule of when people do comic books, exaggerate everything. Yeah. Dramatic color. 
And like, like this one, when I did the cover for this one, the original illustration was a lot more, a lot less calm, a lot more calm. And then they said, we like the image, but it needs something. So what I did is I just pictured them as if they were going down a roller coaster and they reached the top and they're about to go down. Do you see their hair flying all over the place? You see the angle and the, the way the eye, his eyes are looking, they're going down. So trying to like let him where they're at the top and then they're gonna go straight down. So that was a whole other learning experience that I had to kind of go through. And uh, now it's like, I'm very conscientious about it. Like when I'm thinking, okay, I always keep in mind the words. And one book that I'm really proud of is this one called The Great and Mighty Nico. This is why I did several on the Lucha Liga theme because I had, a, like I said, I have a love of comic books and I wanted to do a bilingual counting book, but I wanted to do it in such a way that it would look like a bilingual book, but counting book, but also a comic book. So I did this whole, with, with word balloons, I was very, just, I want word balloons and I want the big splash and the words. And uh, I said, I wanna, you know, make it, I wanted it literally, uh, it's a page here where, where it where to look like a comic book. And uh, so this was, I mean, this was like about a year and a half working on this to get it to where, where it would look the way I wanted it to look. And, uh, and so, so it was just this whole thing with just exaggerating everything, going with the odd perspectives. And uh, so, you know, so that thing kind of, the things I did the Cucuis, I did the Lucha Libres, but I was doing primarily picture books, but then, uh, the, you know, I started, to, to my, you know, somebody mentioned to me, uh, one of the editors said, well, you know, your short stories, your short stories could become young adult, you know, like, not like novels. And I said, novel, I never, the idea of writing something like that never even crossed my mind. But then I said, well, if I'm going to do one, I'm going to do it on a theme that I love, which is Lucha Libre, which is what brought me to Maximilian and the mystery of the guardian angel. And uh, I worked on, the, I tell people I worked on this project for five years before it was ready. And I tell people it's a young adult book, Mex slash Mexican soap opera. It's like really, like I said, going back to the theme of exaggerate everything. The theme of Maximilian and the mystery of the guardian angel, there's a boy named Max. And he loves wrestling. He's 11 years old. He loves wrestling, always has. His favorite wrestler is the guardian angel, whom has been wrestling since before Max was even born. But what he doesn't know, what nobody in that family knows, is that the guardian angel is really his great uncle, who everybody in the family, from his mother to his dad, his aunts, uncles, they all believe, died. 37 years ago in a bar fight in Monterrey. But all this time he's been living this secret life as the most famous masked wrestler in the world. And then one night at a wrestling show, they discover that he's alive and that he's there 
And they try to figure out, well, why did you leave? Why did you do this? And there's a whole backstory to him. But at the same time, like Max is excited because, you know, this is his great uncle, who is the great, the guardian angel, his favorite restaurant in the whole wide world. By, by blood, that makes him lucha libre royalty. But he can't tell nobody hmm. because it's a secret identity. Then the other part about it is that you see, the, the, the uncle created this character, the guardian angel, who's perfect. He always does the right thing. He is a hero. He is perfect. But the protagonist, the man that wears the mask, is not perfect. He's a human being who's made a lot of mistakes. But Max expects him to live up to these character he has created. He owes it to the people that believe in the guardian angel. Mm. Well, it's like this whole thing. And it's a, it, right now it's, it's on book four. It's been, there's been four books in the series thus far. Uh, Max has been a, has been getting older as the books progress. He started, uh, he was starting sixth grade. In the last book, he's just finished eighth grade. And he is determined that he one day will be the new guardian angel. But there's, uh, so there's, a, it's a whole story theme to it. The, and the theme of the story is that it's about family. Mm-hmm. No matter what happens, no matter what you've done, no matter what the past might hold, family is family. And it is the one thing that you can eventually come back to at, at one point. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so like, so, so that was like a whole other genre that I did. Uh, the Vincent Ventura series, and which is a Mo- Vincent Ventura monster fighter extraordinaire, and I kind of tend to stick to subject matters and themes that that I love, mm-hmm. and a lot of it honestly ties to my childhood. Uh, one of the books called Juan and the Chupacabras. It's a story about this boy and girl that go out to, to their grandfather's cornfields to hunt for the legendary monster, and that story is loosely, very loosely, and because I exaggerate a lot of things in the story based on something that happened. Uh, me and my cousin Bobby, and we would stay at my grandfather's house after he went to sleep. We would First, he would tell us all the stories about monsters. And all the monsters always lived in the cornfields behind his house. <laughs> and so when grandpa would go to sleep, we'd go out there. You know, we'd sneak out and we'd be in the cornfields and, you know, just our imaginations just, just ran crazy in there. Because hmm. you know, I tell people, you know, you're, you're a kid, the corn stalks are bigger than you are. And they, when the wind blows, they brush against each other. They make all kinds of creaking sounds. You hear, you hear, you'll hear an owl in a tree or maybe a coyote howling somewhere. And I mean, your imagination just runs wild, yeah. you know, when you're there. And uh, I, so I that's love- kind of... I love that you're you're tapping into things that are like specific to you, but also universal to to others' experiences. And I think that's what what great stories do is they draw you into those things, and they give you a sense of familiarity, um, but also adventure at the same time. And and it draws you into want to know more. Um, I would love to know, uh, like, if somebody who's listening right now to this podcast and they're like, you know what, I so resonate with this whole idea of storytelling, or I want to write books, or I want to write and illustrate books. Um, maybe we could just like close our time right now with just some advice that you may have for 
someone who's in that position and they're like, but I don't know what to do next. Like what, what is something that was so instrumental for you in this journey that you would be like, you know what, this is a piece of advice I want to pass along. Well, I think I tell people the experience is different for everybody. The way if somebody gets published, the way one person gets published is different from the way another person gets published. I tell people, there's some people that, you know, it takes years. It took me eight years. There's some people that it happened so fast that it, it's unbelievable that they themselves can't believe it. Uh, some people are self-taught. Some people go the college route. Now, to me, college was important because that's really kind of like where I found myself in, in the sense of like the, the art and the stories. And also because I was surrounded by other people that had the same dreams. They had the same aspirations. They had the same, they wanted to, to do art. They wanted to write stories. They wanted to do all these things. And we kind of fed off each other, you know, like, you know, cause you need to have a, that motivational group to keep you going. Uh, a lot of those tri road trips that I made to going to book festivals and other places. I mean, I made it together with other friends of mine and, uh, you know, uh, you know, and, and they've also gotten published. You know, Renessa Lanya Jr. got published, and, and other people that you know they, uh, that got published that were part of that whole group. But the thing what I would tell them is first and foremost is, especially if you're just starting off, is write, write as much as you as you can. And don't be afraid to share your story. Because here's the thing I tell everybody, everybody has a story. And, and when you go off and you read a, somebody's story or you listen to somebody tell you their story, you know what? You know what? What he or she just said? Her story or his story? That's my story, too. I have a story. And you take that story and you write it down. Because one time a person asked me if, if you know, about being a writer. They asked, what's the best thing about being a writer? And I said, okay, seeing your book published is cool. That's really great. Book signings are awesome. Listen to somebody, hear your stories. That's great too. But the best part is that basically you're creating something that's going to outlive you. In 10, 20, 30 years, you, the, no, the 40 years, the writer could be gone. But that book is still going to be in a shelf somewhere. Some kid is going to go get it. They're going to read it. And they'll be inspired, hopefully, to write their own story. And it just keeps going. So I tell people, write. Write as much as you can. Just say Because that's the hardest part for a lot of people. It's like, you have a story to tell. But you need to find, there's always going to be a reason not to do it. Oh, I got too much work. I got too much this. I got too much that. You just have to force yourself to sit down and do it. And I tell people, whether it's to be published or not be published, whether that's an aspiration for you, doesn't matter as long as you write. You say, write it for your kids, write it for your grandkids. So that way, you know, they you're leaving something behind of who you were. That way you're not just a photograph. You, there's a whole story that goes with you. Like, and they'll read the story. It was like, yeah, I never knew grandfather did this or grandma was this or... And, and they be, you become like you become more than just a photograph. There's a whole story that goes with that person. And so, you know, that's the first way. It's just to write. Sit down and write. 
And like I said earlier, read, read as much as you can. Just expose yourself to every kind of literature that you can. Comic books, magazines. You never know what the genre or the style of writing that you're going to love. I, I tell people like they say, I love, I, say, I love writing scary stories. And then I go back and I think, what did I like to read when I was a kid? Two books that I love to, I read them over and over again. One was called Stories That Must Not Die by Juan, uh, Juan Savage. And I, they're just a collection of scary stories. The other one was uh, Schwartz's Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And now thinking back, those books had an impact on me. They had an impact. Didn't know it at the time. At the time, I was just reading a scary story. But yeah. then years later, it's like it stays with you. And when you least expect it, you sit down and all of a sudden you're doing what they did. Okay. And the other one is to write down your ideas and share them. That's the big thing. You can write the greatest story in the world, but if you're not willing to share it, that story is not going to be told. You got to go out there. You got to tell your story, let people hear you, let people read what you do. And, you know, so that way, you know, that's how the story gets out there. And, and when, cause when you're telling your story, somebody says, you know what, I really like what he or she did. You know what, I'm going to talk to them. Maybe, maybe they could publish, we could publish them. Maybe we could this. And, and after that, where it goes is up to you. But the, that that's the main thing. You just got to be willing to share your timber. Uh, on a side note, uh, I always had a trouble when people would ask me, well, what are you, a writer or an artist? And I thought like, well, I'm an artist. I mean, that's my degree. That's my bachelor's. That's my master's. But I also love to write. And so it'd be kind of like, and then Gary D. Keller, he was uh, the head of the, uh, back then, the head of the, the Hispanic Research Center. He, uh, he did a whole series of Chicano art books. <laughs> And he asked me that question and I kind of like went back and forth with it. And he said, he said, I know what you are. And I said, what do you mean? What, you know, you know what I am. He goes, what you are above everything else. He carried Gary Keller said, you're a storyteller. Everything you do from the stories that you write to the drawings, the paintings that you make, Everything is to tell, aimed at telling a story. And that's who you are. You're an, you're, you're an artist and you're a writer. But both of these things is what makes you a storyteller. And I thought to myself, that's so cool. You yeah. know? Yeah. And I think that's kind of like, a, that's kind of where he really kind of defined me. And I said, I'll send you a, I have a video link. They did a whole uh, ASU. The, the university you worked at, they did a whole series of uh, video documentaries and they and it's recorded there where he just kind of tells me, says, you know, that, that well, he, he I, not what I said, but he kind of says that he is a storyteller. He kind of put the whole thing together. And I mean, ever since he said that, it just kind of stayed with me because I think it really kind of answered that for me. Yeah. But yeah, the, the advice I would tell people is just keep writing keep reading, share your work, go out there, let people see you and, uh, and believe you can do it. Yeah. Because if you want people to believe in you, you got to show them that, Hey, I believe in me. I believe what I'm doing. This is going to be great. And, uh, I think that would be like, uh, and don't let rejection letters get to you. 
you know, a friend of mine has a shoebox full of rejection letters. He's got like nine books published now, but he keeps that shoebox full of rejection letters because he says, he goes, just to, you know, that there's detours you hit along the way, but you just got to keep going and get back on the right road to where you're headed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's a, a great piece of advice too. And um, I, I love that we can just end there. I know it's going to it, so encourage people on their journey right now. Um, and again, I, like I said, before we start rolling, I said, I trust that the things we talk about and what we say finds its way to who it's supposed to and uh, encourages them to create their own stuff. So that's great. That's awesome. well, thank you so much for this time. Oh, and, thanks uh, for having me. Great. Yeah. So um, I will definitely, I'll put your, your website link in the show notes and um, encourage people to be checking out your books and to be following along with more of the stories that I know you've yet to tell. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening today. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others.